my dad would cook for him and all the guides lived in this little we called it the mouse mahal i mean it was just a little rundown shack I'm kind of an addictive person if i ever get on drugs i feel like it's over <laughs> guys uh thanks for tuning in we got great guests today we've had him on once a lot of you guys know him jim ronquest drake waterfowl uh when we talked to jim the first time he was kind of in a transition period uh starting his transition period um from his past career into his new one at drake and so we wanted to catch up with jim talk with him about duck season duck hunting turkey hunting and uh and see how his new venture's been going and how things are how things are rolling there uh, on that side. So, uh, Jim, we really appreciate having you. Man, thanks for having me, Joe. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure to get to hang out with you and Ira. You might be one of the only ones to say that, Jim. Well, you know, I've known y'all long enough now. I can say that. <laughs> What's up, Ira? Hey. hey, Jim. It was good to see you at NWTF and good to see Rosie. And uh, I'm glad that Jenna is is moving on to her next uh, step in her path towards being a productive member of society. Um, I told Rosie there was only one stipulation there, and that was that she uh, that she stumped for your and my ideas, not not her ideas. <laughs> exactly. Um, her, we've already had that discussion with her, um, and she's a she she's starting to come back center a little more you know she's good her and her buddies want to go duck hunting she wants to go turkey hunting this spring she wants to get her concealed carry you know so she's uh she's not all the way out there we just got to keep her on track that's awesome well as a parent and joe get this figured out here a little bit down the road but at some point as a parent you just hope that they're a productive member of society and not one that uh is just a taker so there you go that's right um, Jim or Ira, that's a good point. Let's hit, I, I was not there. Let's hit a little bit, Jim, from your standpoint and Ira then too. Give us a little NWTF recap. Man, it, it was crowded. Um, we were there. I was there for the whole show. I got there Wednesday afternoon. We had a crew get there on Monday to start setting up. I got there Wednesday and it was just, they were done. The crew did a whale of a job. Um, Matt Lane, Jamie Spence, the whole crew did a fine job getting things ready. That being said, on Thursday, that show actually runs Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday you can travel, which really kind of makes sense. But I, when I first did that, I was wondering how well this can work. Is anybody going to show up on Thursday? Uh, it, it might be our job to be there, but other people's jobs require them to be other places other than walking around a convention center. Um, that said, that Thursday afternoon was pretty dang crowded for a Thursday. Um, and Rosie said she'd learned from somebody that there was a school in the local area that got hit by a tornado a couple of years ago. So anytime that they predict or forecast any bad weather, that school shuts down. So there was a lot of young folks there, a lot of parents there. And sales were robust for a Thursday. Um more so than you typically see first day of a show. Friday, things were getting really packed. And I'd say Saturday morning, 10.30, 11.30, somewhere to about lunchtime. I, I don't do well in crowds. And I just, I, I got stuck in one spot talking to some folks Saturday morning. And folks just kept coming. And I stood there for about four hours before I could even move. Um, just unbelievable the amount of people. And sales were good. I don't know about Ira and... Y'all to Higginbooth, but we did we did very well. Oh, I think they had to go back to Paducah twice with the trailer to get more decoys and calls. Yeah, they, it was just unbelievable. And obviously, Rogers was in our bur our booth. Also, I had no idea that there were that many camo sweatshirts that could be moved in a couple of days. But I think everyone in the United States has a camo Rogers or Browning sweatshirt now for ten bucks. There you go. So uh, on that on that deal, Jim, what kind of stuff were you selling in the Drake booth? What um, were you selling mostly duck stuff? Were you selling like turkey stuff, like old Tom type stuff? Or what were you moving? Yeah, that's all we took was old Tom product and the old Tom brand turkey stuff. Um, our Tech Stretch 2.0 camo pants, we sold out of those. 
pretty quick. <clears throat> Sold a buttload of turkey vest, our gunslinger turkey vest, which is a pretty nice piece. Um, we got another deal called a treasure chest, and it's it. You know how a lot of call guys are; they keep their calls up, all the different pot calls, box calls, math yappers. Um, this thing you can really organize all your stuff. We sold a pile of those. Um, they work good for duck stuff too, if you're a duck or a goose call collector. And that's that's the kind of stuff we sold: shirts, pants. You know, just people getting ready for turkey season. That that old Tom brand, which I didn't realize. I don't know how I really missed it, but. I have some old Tom stuff I didn't realize, and I see it all over the place, but I didn't realize that that was a Drake company until a couple years ago. But that it's interesting how guys cam the camo industry and the clothing industry fascinates me just because there's so many options and there's so many people trying to make splashes all the time. But at the end of the day, hmm, there's some with some long guys with longevity that have, you know, that have been around and some things transcend brands you know you got your sick guys or you got your you know mossy oak guys or you got your whatever 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 on the pattern side but it seems like old tom i know a lot of guys that wear different brands of camo be it you know a b c d that regardless of what they wear for turkey season they're still wearing old tom stuff and you know it that's interesting to me it's a, it's obviously quality stuff and it looks really good but you know jason's there a friend of ours he wears uh, a couple different brands and he's all one way for one thing, all one way for the other thing. But when I take him turkey hunting or he comes, you know, with me, he's got old Tom stuff on and it looks really good. And and that's a cool brand. It is. It's cool brand, cool stuff. Um, you know, we, we definitely look, looking at in, enlarging it in the future. Also right now it's called old Tom technical turkey gear. And I don't, I think we can take technical off, but there are some pretty, good fabrics involved there that, that, that breathe well on their synthetics. Um, you could argue that it'd be nice to have some good cotton stuff in there too. I, I like cotton. Um, and it's good warm weather, late season, late Turkey season hunting stuff. Um, if it's early and it's cold, you want to layer up underneath it pretty good, but it is good stuff. Matter of fact, when I first started last year it was in the spring. So I kind of hit the ground in the Turkey with the Turkey stuff. And, um, hunted a fair amount and it, I can, I can attest to its quality and durability in the woods. I'll tell you what's held had, up. Uh, oh, go ahead, Ira. I had an old time, a couple different renditions of the old Tom vests with the magnetic seat on them and, uh, the little, uh, kind of cordoned, uh, box call holder. And man, they, they were nice vests. I mean, they could get a little warm, but, uh, they had room for all the things that I needed. And I did like the, uh, magnetic seat although at times it was hard to find the magnet and and get it to stick up there but uh it was, you, had it that was thing for, you had that thing forever yeah but you know what i've had forever jim which you know i'm not real specific on name brands of what i wear but uh for my deer hunting i had some of the drake have some of the drake non-typical stuff in bottomland um mm -hmm. and it uh you talk about a nice piece of equipment as far as on those, I wear one of the quarter zips or early season bow hunting every every hunt, and then I wear it underneath of a lot of stuff uh, as it gets colder and colder. But that super quiet. That's what I like about it. You mm -hmm. know, it's not scraping and scratching up against the tree, and and uh, I don't know. I really I don't know why, but I I scent, try to get something scent controlled, and then I use it all the time. So once I get something that works, but it's a it's a really nice piece of equipment uh, that Drake non the Drake non typical stuff as well. It is, the Drake non-typical stuff is, you know, it, it probably, it doesn't get the uh, fanfare old Tom does or Drake Waterfowl does, but I, I, you know, that fleece is some good stuff. Some of that windproof scent, scent blocking type fleeces it, it is good. It's great duck hunting. I, not all my duck hunting stuff needs to wrinkle and crinkle. You know, I like it to be quiet and warm and windproof. And it, it works great for however you want to use it. Now that said, I do know a lot of guys, they don't want to wear their deer hunting stuff, duck hunting, or their duck hunting stuff, deer hunting. Right. But it certainly it certainly transcends across whatever. Early spring, turkey hunting, uh, you know, y'all's part of the world up there. Some of the made for mornings can be pretty chilly. Um, you know, that that's where that non-typical fleece really comes in handy. I, you know, how – this is going to be a dumb question, but this is for both of you, Ira and, and Jim. <clears throat> but once you guys get – Ira, you've done plenty, and Jim, you're obviously dead on the duck call side, and now you're seeing things from a different lens. But 
when you get a product that works, and I know this is situational, but you know, when you get a product that works, how do you, do you kind of say, all right, that product works now let's move on. Or it seems to me like both of you got both Drake and the Mo Marsh Higdon side of things, which I, I never understood, but I, I do kind of now, even when you get a product that's good, it feels like you guys still are tinkering with it to try to make it just a little bit better. Like, you know, I might have one that I, something I bought in 2015 that is the same style or the same model, but there's been several improvements to it. And those improvements, I'm always amazed because those improvements I know aren't cheap and I know they're not, you know, real cost effective sometimes as far as the investment it takes to do it. But talk about the product development. Ira, you can start first. Like, what approach did you take to your product development whenever you even, especially when you had a product that or line of products that was working good? Well, I mean, the, just from a, a general right off the bat standpoint, like you never know based on what, what relationships you have with a, a manufacturer, which ones are going to be easy and which ones are going to be hard. And, and certainly I was shocked all the time. Something I would think would be hard, they'd they'd do a great job on, and something that I thought would be easy, they just couldn't even come close. <clears throat> but but I think getting a little more to what you were talking about when it comes to an existing product and inline changes that come along, we may come up with some of those ideas. But honestly, a lot of that is customer feedback on what they're seeing in the field. So you got your you know you got your uh, you got your production samples and you've tested those and all that stuff, but your, your volume's small. So, you know, you, you may not have had something break. You may not have predicted that the paint was in a wear off here, whatever it was. But, you know, when you pull the trigger and all of a sudden you got 2000 of them out there, well, it's going to become apparent real quick where you got an issue and what you need to change or what you need to modify. And so uh, you can think that, you know, based on, you know, let's say five, five field models that you tested, but boy, it doesn't take long. It doesn't take long for the shine to come off of it. And it seems like what, whatever problems there are, you're going to find out about them immediately. Like right off the bat that you see what the problems are and you'll think, Oh man, we are screwed. Every, we're going to have to bring back every one of these. And, you know, I'd say on those things it, it would end up that 90% of them were fine. But man, the the ones that had something wrong, just right off the bat, you'd hear about it and know, and and then that's that's when you go and make your changes to your process and and uh, all that. My experience is is you definitely want to hear about the ones that break first. Nobody's going to talk about the ones that don't break. But typically, you learn really quick if you've got to go back to a total redesign, um, or if you just do inline changes. I know since I've been here, Drake, there's a I get to sit with the product development guys a little bit on stuff, on new product ideas and just additions, you know, tune-ups, whatnot. And it's uh, some of that stuff goes pretty quick. Some of it takes time, but it's fun, fun to be a part of. And you learn really quick what works for me might not work for you. And it's, you got to find a balance there that you're not ever going to be hit everybody hundred percent, but you strive to, right? So, I know with us, since the new ownership at Drake, um, our head guy of product design, Justin Carpenter, was telling me the other day, I want to say I got this number right. So I'm going to use this number as a general deal. This may not be correct, 100% correct, but be the right direction. In the past year and a half, 64% of Drake products has been either replaced or inline changes done to make better. That might be a material change, might be a pocket change, might be a fit issue. All improving the line to make it either fit better, function better, or work better. So that's 64% of everything they got, and that's a lot of SKUs. So, uh, and and we're still working, got more on the way. So um, that kind of gives you an idea on how, how things are changing. You know, Jim, for in your business, especially, I mean, I know a lot of people could say that's it's unique to theirs, but for your in the in the business that you're in, there's some pretty there's some pretty fierce competition for market share in that business. And you know, whether you want to or not, um, what you guys are doing is is probably super critical because you know, clothing isn't just clothing anymore. I mean, it's unbelievable how 
much it's become a, a piece of gear if you know if you will so um it i'm sure it's one of those deals where it's like innovate or or don't but but you're going to get left behind if you don't and and you guys that are that are trying to keep growing i'm sure it's something it's it's necessary you bet um i mean we're still you know even those changes that have been made there'll be changes again you know you you know like dyer said you get something i mean you'll try it out and you think it's pretty good and uh you go, oh man, we really should have done this. So you know, that's another another change down the road, or you lose a skew, gain a skew, kind of thing. Um, a couple of the jackets that I used this year that I really like, um, <clears throat> that's going to be, excuse me, an NWTF attribute is typically you come home from there with a cold. So excuse me for that. But that being said, um, uh, the double down jacket and vest is going to be a fall twenty three item. Or it's been an existing item, but the changes on it's been material. So it's made out of uh, out of just some really cool material that that it's not as I'm not going to say it's snag proof, but it's more snag resistant. Um, it's not as shiny. It's just it's good looking stuff. There we go. I got a little knife work to do here in a little bit. I'd I'd say. Sorry about that. So it's but it's I, it's almost like a different material, Jim. Yeah, it is. It is a different material, but it will. It, it it's going to make a really nice piece. You know, people will, people will like it. But we've made some changes to it for what we had for field test models. We go, okay, let's add this, add that, do this, do that. So that seems to be a constant, and that's kind of been one of my things with this position coming from R and T and working in the call business. Sure, we were sponsored by a great apparel company. Um, I worked with the Sika folks a lot. You know, but having the opportunity to be at Drake and help make a difference with some of their products is kind of fun. You know, it kind of, kind of resurrects you again. Not that I don't miss messing with duck calls. I, I mean, that's, we're callers, right? We're going to do that anyway. So it's fun to be a part of this other side because forever we've used stuff in the field and we like this pair of bibs for whatever reason, or that jacket for whatever reason, or these waiters for that reason. It's fun to be a part of trying to find something across the board that we all like. And maybe I'm wrong in saying this. So if I am, it won't be the first time, but it seems to me, you know, it seems to me, I mean, I know you like a challenge, whether that's tough ducks or finding a new spot to duck hunt or, uh, you know, perfecting a call or whatever. That's why I think it's interesting with you and Drake. And like I said, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me like, and you see this with companies all the time, but it seems like there for a while, Drake was on a you know a meteoric rise there. I don't know what what time frame that would have been, but I just remember if you went and got a duck hunting jacket, you were getting a Drake jacket with the one with the like the Max Five camo, and then below was like the brown. You know what I'm talking mm -hmm. like the waiter the jacket, the fleece. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. I was like people yeah. that I knew that didn't even duck hunt. It's like it's like all right, what can I bring on the hunt? Well, you better make sure you have one of those. Like it just yes. seemed like everyone had one, and then you know I know other company. You know when you get to the mountaintop, other companies are coming. Whatever. It just seems like it seems like Drake these days. Hang last on just a second. Oh, you're good. Hang on, be right back. Somebody's knocking on the door. I'll be right back. Oh. Get me something. Yeah, Joe, that would have been back in like the early to mid two thousands when they were just really, you know, really blowing and, and going and growing and all that stuff. Yeah, like think about it. seven. Yeah, and even a little before that, but you know, their banded didn't have a, a card in the game, sick or wasn't around. Well, you know, I'm trying to think back then. Shoot, I don't uh, even know who the fuck uh, it was. Drake and oh yeah, it's some, some private label Mossy Oak stuff or some shit. I thought the boogie man was getting me. It's the UPS man. Bye. Oh, Bye -bye. sorry about that. No, uh, you didn't mean to interrupt. Go right ahead. No, well, so I was saying, you know, it was on like a meteoric rise, and and um everybody had Drake stuff and it was just like the class of the waterfowl industry as far as the apparel goes. And then when you get to the top, obviously people start gunning for you. And so we see some of these competitors come in and, and, you know, it's the new big thing and the craze and all that. But would you think it's fair to say, Jim, that, that there has been kind of a, a resurrection or a, or a renaissance, not a renaissance, but a rejuvenation of, of your entire brand there? Oh, 100% of course. Yes, sir. The, the new ownership and the whole idea, yes. Um, I, I think it kind of got to the point, and I'll, I'll say this. Um, I think they got to the point where they got to that level you're talking about. And then I think they kind of they let off the gas a little bit, tried to, you know, maybe ride on their laurels a little, try to increase their margins a little bit here and there. 
and then other companies come on strong with some really good, cool stuff, man, that, that worked. And I think it got past them. And I think now they realized, okay, hey, let's let's uh, let's try to turn this thing around a little bit. And and there's a lot of good competition out there. There's if you enjoy to hunt and fish or work outside, um, there's a lot of good products out there to keep you warm, dry, and comfortable in whatever your outdoor pursuits are. We're just trying to be the best we can be at whatever price point we're at. Well, well, what you just said about Drake, I think that's very common uh, in any any industry, and it's it's like I harp on all the time to ad nauseum of I'm sure several of my counterparts. But if you're not going forwards, you're going backwards, and uh, man, it's it's easy to just uh, kind of sit there and you know when you got a plate full and kind of push stuff off to the side. But uh, man, you just got to be coming up with new stuff. You got to be trying to make it better, and, and I think the I think sportsmen realize when you're trying to make it better. You know, um, to, like you said earlier, there's going to be people that's going to lean to this color camo or that color camo or this brand or that brand. That that's going to happen. You're going to have your brand loyalists. We've got them. Everybody's got them. Um, we want to get to the point where everybody thinks, okay, I want some of that. You know, I want I want that piece or I want two pieces, but you've got to always innovate to get there, you know, and and we're trying. I was talking with Jason the other day and it sounds to me like Jason's there. That is, uh, Mm -hmm. sounds to me like there's some interesting stuff kind of coming on the horizon too. You know, he, he didn't really say a whole lot about it, but it sounds like there's some stuff coming that is going to be pretty interesting here in the near, you know, future next year or two. Oh, I I think the next couple of years, this fall and next fall, I think, I think you'll see some really cool stuff come come from the Drake brand for sure. Um, I, some, some, some game changing stuff. I'll say this too. This is, this is one I got asked a lot when I started. I said, man, Jimbo, what about them Drake waiters? Man, I don't know guys. They hadn't really worn them. So I wore, tried to wear the same pair most all year just to get a feel for them. And I can certainly attest to their durability has been excellent. Um, as far as puncture resistance and movability, they've been, as good or better than anything I've had. Puncture resistance for dang sure. They've beat any waiter I've ever owned. Their boots were, were lacking. What you stuck your feet in was lacking. So um, that'll be changing. Uh, some size and fit stuff will be changing. But as far as just a pair of durable waders with a zipper in the front, man, I, I didn't get them tore up. I, I'm not going to say I tried to tear them up, but I didn't try not to tear them up either. And I was very, very proud of, of how well they held up through a duck season. So, okay. I got energetic on a story here real quick. Speaking of boots on Drake waders, uh, this was a long, long time ago, so it has nothing to do with, with today's product at all. But, uh, you know, I used to do some stuff with Tate, and so I got a pair of waders, and they, they leaked. And I was like, Tate, I need a new pair of waders. And I was guiding the next morning, and so they come. They're in the box. And I'm trying to put them on in the dark. And mind you, I got four guys that are itching to go duck hunting at, at uh, Eagle's Nest. And uh, I'm trying to get these darn waders on. And they were like, on the box, it said that they were a 12 regular. And on on the label, on the waders, they were like an eight medium. So I had like one foot and oh one leg. Uh, I mean, I was jammed in there. You talk about, you want to talk about an uncomfortable boot. I couldn't even begin to get my feet in the boots. So I was walking around with them. I think they came up to about my knees. <laughs> well, it, I'd like to see that. At least you got through the hunt. Well, yeah. well, the good thing I can say for, for coming this fall, the, the changes made there are going to be quite excellent. I think people will, will enjoy them. And hopefully the people that package them will put the right size waiter in the right box. It's all marked properly. So Ira don't have to be trying to put on a pair of size eights on a, on a size 12 foot. Well, now that I, now that Ira is full fledged attack, the company, uh, we could continue on. Uh, boy, these waiters didn't fit very good. I had a youth size four on, but yeah, they sucked. Uh, hey, I, I go ahead and just stick a knife in our own throat. And Joe, you've seen this, but we've had, I remember there was one particular uh, shipment of Invisamen or Invisalase or something that came, 
And you'd think that, that someone would be smart enough, you know, you got a right door and a left door. And we probably had 10 of those things that had two right doors or two left doors so that the mm. mesh was on the wrong side of the door and it was upside down and you mm. just never oh. know. You, you can't help some of that stuff. It's just going to happen, you know. Um, it, 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 some of it comes down to the last person to box it up or package it. You know, they, the whole point there is everybody's got to pay attention. You know, you can design great stuff, um, but you, you got to execute it too and follow through with the rest. So we talked, we're talked about duck season and all that. Uh, Iro, you can start. Uh, what was your, what was your duck season recap? Like just real generally. Well, I mean, November was incredible. Uh, you know, we had lots of ducks. They were fresh and they stayed fresh most of the month, really. Um, we had a couple little date, you know, just a day here or there. And part of it may just been, as simple as going to the wrong spot or whatever, but man, uh, November was great. December, we had some re really good periods and we had some tough periods. Um, I did shoot that freak in December. You remember Joe, I sent you a picture. I'm like, why am I even hunting today? And had a good hunt. And then I had other days where just like always, where you have decent conditions and struggle and it's frustrating. But what I will say overall, probably my biggest takeaway was that, there were a lot more bunches that stuck together good and played the game, which to me translates into uh, a stronger year of reproduction than what, than what was forecast and than what we've seen the last two years. Because given similar numbers, this year was a lot more mem memorable when it came to the hunts uh, because we were shooting in the flocks versus the two years prior where it was mainly ones and twosies and threesies. You were able to. Did y'all have a lot of pintails, Ira? Did you notice a oh, lot of pintails? Gosh, I mean, I got Crazy. got my pintail almost every day, and then uh, you know, through I uh, help me, Joe. I think 2015 is when we made heaven. Yeah, 15. And, yep, and uh, I'd say from 2015 to this year, we probably hadn't shot. I'm sure we hadn't shot over a half a dozen pintails in heaven. Shoot, man, I bet we shot a dozen in heaven this year. So there were lots and lots of pentails on Locust Grove all year, all the way to the very end. Mm -hmm. There was I, a several lot. Pe several people I've talked to said the same thing. Um, and then when they started coming back, the ones that went south, we had a buttload pile of pentails all year long. And when I was in Canada, well, there's a lot of pentails. And I, I mean, it's all anecdotal, right? But I would sure hope that the BPOP represents an increase in pintails this year because everybody I've talked to that spends time and pays attention, like y'all do, have all said there's been a lot of pintails. And what? You, we didn't shoot. Greenwing teal was kind of a big savior for the place I hunted. I didn't get in the bottoms hardly any, any at all this past year. Um, and I heard ups and downs stories about it. That's, that's another story on the people. But we killed several young mallards too. So I, I'm going to say... Again, it's anecdotal, but I feel we had a little bit of a hatch last spring. It wasn't great, but I think pintails did better than maybe they thought they did, um, and, and maybe mounters too. I don't know, but I, I've heard the same report from other folks just like y'all. I mean, it was multiple days. Well, and, and pintails, you wished it was a three-bird limit on a pin. I mean, I, I've, I've never finished that many pintails after I was limited with pintails. You know what I mean? Like, it was – uh, one day, one day at Money Blind, Aaron and I were hunting, and I, you know, I deer hunted almost all November because I didn't kill anything, and so I missed out on a lot of really good duck hunting. But Aaron and I, one day in November, were hunting, and it was like, here came two Drake pintails. We shot them both. I was like, damn, that's solid. He's like, man, that's <clears throat> that's normal right now. I was like, really, and I bet you we had fifteen different pintails land right in front of us. Just I thought, man, this is crazy. I've never, I've never had this problem. Yeah, I did a hunt with the Realtree folks in North Louisiana there in our split, first part of December, and we had a good front that day. One of the second good fronts that come north to south, I think y'all picked up a lot off of it too, but we hit it just right, and we was lighting bunches of 50-plus pintails squared up in the decoys, and we was like, everybody was like, all right, try to find them out there. Be careful. You know, you had your pintail shot pretty quick-like. Um, so that, that's one of the coolest hunts of the year this past year speaking of species everyone in our area was talking about 
about it, and I don't know about other parts of the country, but the the unbelievable amount of green and winged teal was just insane. You know, we would see oh, man. huge, huge, expansive flocks of green wings out, out dry field and soybeans, which I, I don't ever recall seeing green wings like I did this year, and, and I certainly have never seen – numbers of them just making a, a soybean field black like we did this that year. That is, and I haven't seen them in the dry fields much like that. I, I have in the past some, but to your point, um, green wings kind of kept us alive in big bunches. One of the little places we hunted was a little small field up in the woods, and I'd be, a lot of times I'd stand up on the levee just talking, and you'd hear them. And I'd, I'd duck in behind, behind cover and say, all right, boys, get ready. And we had some Mondo wads of teal finish. Um, and the suckers get to zigzag and it gets hard to call the shot. So they'll come, you think, oh, no, you got, it takes them a minute to get squared up. But, but the green wings helped us a lot. I'm talking to other people in, in Missouri, East Missouri, I talked to Mark Monitor over the weekend. He said same thing. Uh, green wing teal saved them also. So sound like teal and pintails have done well. Great. You know, that where I I don't know exactly where I was talking about, but I know that down at the Grand at Habitat Flats, the Grand down by Miami, um, the the amount of teal there was unbelievable. And what, our, I was hunting with Arliss Reed one day, and we were driving through the property, and I looked over in the field, and I I thought it was one of those big like you know five thousand bird swarms of blackbirds, and they were all over the the bean field. I was like, what in the world? Arliss said that's all teal, and and we went by him, and sure enough, it was, and. And that wasn't just one field that was, you know, it was multiple fields and they were kind of coming up out of the sheet water and just, just all over that dry field. I'd never seen that before myself. Yeah. It, it's yeah. been pretty cool. I know. Yeah. I was just talking about around some and you'd see them all over. Well, like I said, I was deer hunting probably when you were seeing this, but, uh, you know, we, we shot them in the dry, I shot them in the dry fields a lot this year, a lot, a lot more. Um, you know, I know, I know that some people, you know, like to dry field hunt and some people don't. Um, I don't do it very much because it usually doesn't happen. But, you know, in our part of the world, it's got to get real cold or you got to be in a specific area. But this year, hell, they were dry fielding everywhere. There was, and I think that was because there was, it was a dry year. There was less water. That means there was less food in the water. And, you know, they were using the water. They ate the food out of the water instead of moving on to, to new food. They kind of just stayed on that and used it to roost and, and uh, went out and fed in the dry fields. And man, we had some just incredible dry field hunts. And it really went on almost the whole season. You know, I, I've hunted, I bet I hunted in the dry field 15, 15 or more days. And uh, it was a, a lot of fun just kind of bouncing around, chasing around like I kind of used to do in high school, just uh, college age. It was a, it was a lot of fun. And uh, I don't know, it's different. However, it's funny how every year is different. And, you know, some years I'll, I won't even think about dry field and some years I won't think about doing anything other than so. It's kind of funny how it changes with habitat types and weather and water and all that. One thing about it, you just hit it. Every year's different. Whatever this year was, next year's going to be different for dang sure. Might be better, might be worse, but it's going to be different. Jim, how did how the guys, like, you know, some of those guys, I know it sounded to me like when we talked this year a few times, you were doing a lot of work on the Drake farm and, and taking folks and, uh, you know, your buddies that – hunt down in the bottoms uh did they have some good days i know i follow along with chris and john kopeck and some of those guys that hunt around mm -hmm. and uh looked like they had some good days and and you know nobody posts pictures of the bad days but it did look like there was some good hunting to be had some of my buddies around uh holly grove area i saw just absolutely hammered them um at times this year so uh just you know interesting but i uh i sure enjoyed following along down there how'd your buddies do well, I think you got a good read on it. And, you know, some some of your buddies is my buddies. So talking to some of the same folks there, um, they they did they did fair. It was up and down. Uh, I, I heard some reports from by me that it was just horrible. I talked to a buddy of mine that hunts there quite a bit. Um, he said it, it, they just never got in there right. You know, he said they had a day or two here or there. Um, sound like lower in the White River did pretty well. Um, so some of the some of the new rules got people piled in a lot of the federal ground places and. And he was like, man, some some of the stuff, just the people were crazy. But if you could get around the people and, and put the time in, you could find a few ducks to shoot, sound like. Uh, we got some decent water. It started off extremely dry, that first split. And then we got a rain, and then it kind of kept coming, and, and it, it helped. Um, one of the places we hunt, I turned around and 
I'm standing 30 feet from the Cache River Refuge sign. I can look and see the river, no problem, through the woods, you know, 75, 80 yards. So, um, you know, you can kind of pay attention to what was going on there a little bit. So at different times, a lot of folks, um, sometimes a lot of folks, not so many ducks, sometimes a few ducks and a few folks, you know, you just never know what you're going to get. But again, it's going to be different next year. Right, how Jeff and the boys, did you talk to Jeff and the boys over at Greenbrier much? Yep. I was in there some, I still stayed on the guide list over there. I couldn't be there as much, but I made a point to be there a few days, you know, and they had a whale of a year going, um, was doing awesome. They lost five days on that big freeze there at Christmas, that big front. Um, and then they, when it thawed out, man, it, the whole woods was full of ducks. It was awesome. Um, till right up that last week and then it slowed down, but I think they still had, they was on track to have a number one year, and I don't. They still wound up. I forget what the number was. They still wound up in good shape. All things being equal, if, if they'd have kept that last week like it was going, it'd have been really good. Um, Daniel Duke at Five Oaks, of course, talking you know heavily managed place. They wound up extremely well, and I, I'm still catching up with some of the other clubs and folks around. See how they wound up. Um, it seems like some of the legacy properties are properties that are well managed and well taken care of naturally do well um some of the public that's normally really good wasn't as good as it sometimes is but i've heard i've heard some crazy stuff happening up white river above the interstate that was really well and you know just depends on where you work what's the hour sale time out of a whole duck season maybe 50 percent of your days will be really good 25 percent will be fair 25 percent will be poor whatever his theory is um seems to hold true about everywhere yeah, every year's different, but every year's the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Weather will be different next year. You don't know if it's going to be wetter or drier, colder or warmer. Um, I, I tell you, that big front that hit at Christmas hit at the right time. Uh, I talked to a buddy in South Louisiana this morning uh, that's in the waterfowl business. He said, man, it's the best duck season they've had in South Louisiana in eight or ten years. And I, I, I've heard that, heard that from several, which stands to reason, you know. Not – not to get into the argument of social media and all that stupid shit that you read everywhere, but I didn't hear much. Uh, com- I didn't hear near as much complaining from down South as what I have other years. Um, no, uh, some buddies in Mississippi got some stuff. They they had a really good duck season. And it's so. interesting, Jim, because uh, with it being as dry as it was a lot of our, a lot of our ground up here that always has flooded corn and, and flooded ag had a, a great year. You know, we had, um up around up around habitat flats i mean the the farmers up there had record crop on the corn this year and um mm. and and we could get in and all, everybody duck farming could get in and for the most part get their stuff planted um it's just interesting because we had a, i would say a bumper corn crop around here in the dry fields the harvested fields there's plenty of scrap grain and you know if the, if, if the combine lets three to five percent out or whatever it is three to five percent of 260 is a lot more than three to five percent of 130 so there's a lot more there's a lot more food available in some of those cornfields and i don't feel like we held the ducks any longer in fact i feel like we got rid of them sooner um just because at the end of the day you know how how it is whether you want to argue it or not and i'm not trying to but weather and water is what um is what really dictates when a duck's going to get out of there and um we we definitely lost we definitely lost some ducks i i mean Usually we do a last push there at your farm and really have a good time and all that. And, you know, it was kind of, we kind of shut it down. You know, I was pulling ice eaters and the shit on the last day, not, not duck hunting. Well, let's remember, and it's, it's hard for me to remember this. I was talking to Barry and he was like, we didn't have any weather. And I was like, what are you talking about? But, you know, November and December were very cold and we had some major fronts, uh, spaced out kind of nicely, but shoot, uh, January and, and February were really warm. And so, you know, I forget that half these guys' season is all of January. And for me, duck season, which I always travel some, but, uh, you know, I, I, I forget that, I mean, January is just flat as a pancake, you know. But uh, but we definitely lost. Man, there were very few ducks left um, after after Christmas, even a little before Christmas. And it took them quite a while to come back. I mean, normally they'll bounce back real quick, but those ducks didn't come back till shoot a lot. A whole lot of them aren't even coming back till right now. Um, but I, I, 
a couple of things from NWTF that Jimbo reminded me of when he was just talking is uh, I couldn't believe we we're talking about Arkansas and I couldn't believe how many of the people that were there were from out east, whether, you know, it was the Carolinas or Mississippi or Alabama or wherever, Tennessee, Kentucky, all that stuff. And I'd ask them, where do you hunt? And almost every one of them would say a little bit around home in Arkansas. So it's still just amazing how many people go to Arkansas to duck hunt. And it's testimony to, you know, what a strong state and, and habitat and everything else Arkansas has. But the other thing, and of course, I'm saying this tongue in cheek. Remember, a lot of my relatives are from Louisiana and, and I love everything about Louisiana. But, you know, I'd say, well, how was your season this year to people in Arkansas and and uh, Mississippi and Louisiana, you know, all the, all the heat of corn pond, corn pond haters. And they'd say, yeah. oh, you know, it's okay. It was a little better than normal. I said, yeah, well, just remember, all you guys down there have big mouths and short memories. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, there's something to be said for that. I, You know, <laughs> we went out to Nebraska on a trip, and I was talking with Ira's brother, and we got into a semi-heated argument about it. Aaron and I – I'm still standing by what I said. And that is that it's amazing from somebody who's not from Arkansas and I'm using Arkansas as the state. And I know there's a lot of public hunting opportunity down in Louisiana and all that, but you know, coming from Missouri, we have excellent. It's a whole nother debate, but we have some awesome state areas, state managed areas. We have some really cool places that are super powerhouses for holding ducks. And a lot of years when you can get in, it's it's almost a guarantee to kill your ducks. You know, I'm talking about Pass Grove, um, you know, Bob Brown, some of those places that are just excellent. Four Rivers, Shell. Um, so we've got opportunity to go hunt. But one thing that we can't do as a public guy, yes, if you got a boat and can go out on the Missouri River, that was Aaron's point, and I, I get it. But you know, in, in Arkansas, if you want to hunt, you can hunt. You know, you might not be, you might not be a, uh, you might not do real well. You might not have, um, you know, you might it might be a shit show. But there's a lot more fields that are available to lease for duck hunting. You know, like I said, they might not be amazing, but there's a lot of walking areas. There's a lot of state and federal ground. It's just cool to me to see that when you go down there, it's just like. You don't hear somebody go, yeah, up here, it'll be like, hey, how was your season? Well, man, so-and-so leased my place or bought my place or, you know, we just could not get water on anything. And so I had nowhere to hunt. I don't hear that as much down south. You know, I mean, if you want to hunt, you can hunt. It's not like one land transaction is going to completely ruin your ability to hunt whatsoever, you know. And and I know I'm over-exaggerating, but I just like to see all the opportunity that's in Arkansas. There's no wonder that it's just far and away one of the best mallard killing duck killing areas in the world you know well i, I think it, it is and it ain't you know part of part of those that number one mallard harper state is all the people that come here but also part of that is um that opportunity if it's wet and cash rivers flooded white rivers flooded um our water basins are full of water our public opportunity is really quite amazing um, as far as the, to, and to your point, it might all be, might not all be good. That said, there's a place to go. You can go put your boat in the water and go hunting. Right, and that's I think why a lot of people come. And now it, it still can be some excellent hunting too. Don't get me wrong. Um, but but that opportunity is, is why that is. Now if it's dry, it's not much different than than Missouri. As a matter of fact, you don't have the big managed. We've got a lot of state and federal areas, but they're not managed like y'all's are on dry years. We've got a little bit of that, but not a lot. But you can still go put a boat on the river and find ducks on the river. Um, you you can find places to go hunt. It's a cool part of the world. It is that. It's cool to go. As a matter of fact, this weekend, I may go boat riding. I haven't been boat riding all winter. I may go boat riding Saturday. I know I was talking to Greg Sharan, uh, somebody we all know. He had It seemed like he had a pretty good year this year. Yeah, I haven't talked to Greg or Mr. Jeff since season's been over. Normally, I connect with them. Um, we've got a big deal coming up in a couple of weeks, the Arkansas Waterfowler Hall of Fame. Greg and I are both on that board, so I'll be able to catch up with him by then. Good guys. You bet. Uh, hey, Jimbo, uh, Joe and I were snow goose hunting yesterday, and uh, you'll remember this hunt. We talked about it several times yesterday. We were talking about, you know, which areas we're hunting right now and all that, and, and – uh, you know, we, we named one of the fields down there R&T, and you'll remember the hunt. That's why we named it R&T over there uh, 
east of the school, up in the hills where oh, Rusty yeah. was on his back and the geese were coming about five yards over his head. Yes. That was a hell shoot. That, that was good. That was a good shoot right there. I have, I, you yeah. know, we had them pretty thick for a while right here. And then once once the wind turns south pretty much every day, they're they're about gone. Um, my Louisiana buddy talked to you, said they still had a few around. There was a, just a few here when I came home Sunday from NWTF. And I went to town a while ago and just seen some cripples up on a ditch bank. But they're about all gone. But boy, for a while, right here at the house, they was on the field by the house, behind the house. You'd get up in the mornings or when I'd come home from the camp, it was uh, it was like living in the middle of a goose refuge right here. We had a pile up for well, a while. On that on that hunt, I remember watching it. I mean, how many did you all kill? I mean, approximately. It was over oh, two hundred or over two hundred. I, I think we called the TV show Two Hondo, and we broke well over two hundred. I know. Who who was on that hunt? Well, I know the two of you and and Jordan Garber, and I know um, I'm well. I'm assuming Tony was on the hunt. Fuge was on the hunt. Remember, yeah, Fuge was there. Yeah. Fuge, Ira, Tony, myself, Rusty. There were several. I forget how many were there. It was it was a fun one. Jim, you'll like this. I was I told Ira this this morning. So speaking of Fuge, that cranky son of a bitch. He I didn't realize I didn't realize, which I've probably been mad at me too, but I didn't realize that I guess his part of the world there in South Dakota has just gotten a ton of snow. Just like they're getting hammered today. Yeah. So <laughs> I didn't know that. And uh <laughs> I texted him this morning about six. I woke up and we were talking about this hunt. I just thought, well, I wonder if food has been, been killing anything. And so this morning at six, I said, I said, Hey, did you all get any snow? <laughs> it's six in the morning. This is the only stupid effing question I'm getting today. I guess not in the mood. I said, Jesus, bud, calm down. He said, no, it's gorgeous out. There's 20 effing inches on the ground. It melted overnight. And the blizzard, the winter has managed to miss us all, and now it's amazing today. Yes, we got effing snow. I said, <laughs> I said, well, goddamn. I said, I'll pray for you. But yeah, so I kind of struck a chord there. So sorry about that, Fuji, and everyone else dealing with snow. That doesn't sound very fun. Man, they're getting hammered. Looks like I wish it. I wish all that snow was hitting further north, above the international boundary up there in North Dakota prairies and Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba was getting that twenty inches of snow. No kidding. I'd like to see it happen up there. I mean, South Dakota will help. They'll produce some birds there. But, uh, man, we really need North Dakota and Alberta, Saskatchewan. For us, the places we hunt, Saskatchewan, North Dakota is very important for us. And we still got time, but it's uh, it's not as it's not as much snow up there as we'd like to see. I know that. Um, but there's a lot can happen, you know. Yeah. Here – Here's one um, that I thought was interesting. This was a question we got a while ago when we were talking with you last time, Jim. But it was somebody that was, I, I just summed it up. But it was somebody was asking about, you know, you worked at R&T and then you're now you're going to Drake. So it's companies within, in, within the industry. And basically they were asking about the importance of relationships within any industry, but within the outdoor industry. I know Ira and I have talked about it a lot and I know you get it. How important throughout your career in the outdoor industry have relationships been um, in, in your success? Man, everything. Um, just everything. Um, I have been blessed to have good friends across across the board, and those relationships have allowed me to do a lot of things that's helped make me successful or let me, not make me, help let me be successful at different things. Um, yeah, relationships are everything that, you know, uh, making that decision to take this Drake opportunity and leave R&T, a place I'd been for well over 20 years, um, and had a big part of it, man, that, that was hard, but I wanted to make sure I could leave that in good graces and was able to do so. You know, I still get along good with John and Angie. I talked talk to them both at the show at NWTF. I stopped up every now and then have a beer. I talked to Blake a while ago. Um, but I think having those relationships are important. And, yeah, there's a lot of us are competitors. You know, we all got to make a living, right? That's We chose to be here in it. But at the same time, just because 
somebody works for the competition don't make them bad people either. You know, um, I, I heard a guy say one time that worked in the industry, he said, be careful who you're MFing today because they may be your boss and your new boss in the next three weeks. So there, I've always kind of kept that in the back of my mind that, that uh, you know, treat others like you'd like to be treated and you'll will help you in the long run. Yeah. You know, something, something else that's interesting and, and Joe, we can either use this or not, but, but, uh, you know, there's some IP stuff that goes on and, and I mean, I've got a lot of good friends in the industry and heck we may be suing them, you know, but we don't talk about that. Like we know there's a lawsuit going on and, uh, but we're still buddies. So we just, you know, we just don't even talk about it. We just, talk about what's important and let the attorneys worry about the rest of it. You know, that's probably the best way to do it sometimes. I'd agree. I'd agree. I try to stay out of some of that intellectual property stuff, but um, it, it does happen, unfortunately, but you got to take care of yourself. At the same time, there's no reason you got to be mean. Everybody, you know, you like know, said, treat others like you want to be treated. I thought of this the other day, somebody we were, I was talking about with someone else and I, thought of it and it's the next great saying it's my only great saying but it's almost like connections are currency you know what i mean because they're they're worth a good connection's worth more than a paycheck it's worth more than the next deal it's worth more than uh the next 10 deals sometimes and it's the only thing that's recession proof is your relationships with people and and how you treat people and how they treat you and what their thought of is you when you know or their thought of you is when they see you calling on the phone or texting them or whatever you know those connections can be the most valuable thing in, in, in a career. No, no doubt. And, and it, I don't think it matters what you do. You know, I, I think it, I think it transcends everything, whether you're in the seed business, duck call business, whatever you're doing, those relationships are connections are important. So what's your Turkey season look like, Jim? We end this up. Tell us what your, what are your mm. plans for Turkey season? Yeah, I got starting to kind of develop a little bit of a plan. I guess I'm going to start off in in uh, Mississippi and Alabama in just a couple of short weeks, really. Um, it, it'll be here. I got a picture from a buddy of mine. I, I sent it to y'all um, that was taken in West Tennessee the 20th. What's the day? The 22nd of yeah. a gobbler yeah. treading, treading the hen, buddy. Um, that, that's, that, that's early, I think, a little bit. Um, but anyway, I start off in Mississippi, Alabama um probably won't hunt in arkansas our turkey population here has gotten bad um dinner bugs want to go turkey hunting i've got an invite from missouri for that may do that there um one of the cool places i know i'm going this year is montana i want to, it's late april montana trip in eastern montana that sounds pretty fun i'm trying to decide if i'm going to drive or fly um so i'm kind of excited about that and then uh, got an invite to hunt with one of my turkey hunting heroes uh, in early May, Mr. Harold Knight. So that that's something to be looking forward to. That'll right be there. really cool. Um, yeah, I got to hunt with him last year, and he come by the booth a couple times over the weekend. Man, we some we need to go hunt. Yes, sir, I'm for you. So he's uh, um, hopefully make it again. Hopefully make a pass through y'all's part of the world, maybe. Um, but that's that pretty much wrap me up. I'll tell you a place I, besides Montana, that sounds cool. Um, you know, Turkey's still gobbling and strutting way up late in May. I, it's a long ride, but I've thought about Wisconsin. I got some buddies up there. Um, not opposed to going to Wisconsin. But huh. I want to work some, too. Yeah. Darn that work. I can't Hey, hey Joe. Joe, real, real quick, one thing, and I think I touched on it with you, but Again, from NWTF, uh, I was kind of amazed and, and just want to take a moment to thank everybody that does listen to the podcast. Uh, I was kind of amazed at the number of people that, that came up and engaged me and said, hey, I enjoy listening to you guys' podcast. Um, it was a lot more people than I would have expected. So thanks to everybody that listens and, and hope some of you find it inspiring, but it was kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, we appreciate it. I know – Byron and I didn't start this for anything more than, you know, anything more than 
just what we're doing. You know, hopefully somebody can take something out of it and hopefully people enjoy listening to it. Obviously, you don't hear a list of 50 sponsors coming down the way. We're not making any money on this. Now, if anyone's wanting to write us a check, I'm I mean, I'm sure I'm sure we can help you out. But I mean, the reason we did it was just to just because we really selfishly, the reason I did it was because these are questions I wanted to ask. And I thought, well, hell, if anybody's interested, you know, they can listen to and and uh, having good guests on is, you know, you got a podcast. Me and I can talk forever about whatever, but it's great having guests on. We, I know we appreciate guys like Jim coming on and you know, there's, you're getting hit up for this shit all the time, Jim. So thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having yeah. me. I, you know, you say that this kind of stuff is important. You know, I do that Monday night live thing. Um, kind of like it's pretty organic. I don't promote it much other than within Instagram. Uh, but, but those kind of things, help i think and you know the opportunity to get on your platform and talk about the stuff we do that's fantastic man it's what makes it all go around i like you giving me the opportunity well i like tuning in on monday nights because there's no to me there's no agenda it's just like you know hey what's up and people from around the country ask a question and and then you you answer it and then and then somebody else that i mean who was the dude from effing Sudan or wherever, there's people from freaking oh, other yeah. countries and shit on there. Chile or some crap, yeah. you know. It's, that, it's crazy, and they and then they'll be like, "We like this, this, and that," and and uh, they'll say, well, "We've heard this about the duck numbers." Then Jim will be like, "Well, here's what I heard." It's just it's an interesting conversation in today's world, and we're all guilty of it. But all the marketing, all the content, everything seems like it's got a target, and you know whether that's moving the sales needle or driving you know, driving uh, reach or whatever it's doing for a company or an initiative or an organization. It's kind of cool to have some things that are just, you know, just conversations. And I, you know, I, I enjoy it. I love doing it. I can't talk about turkey season. I can't wait myself. I'm going to go to Illinois um, and probably Tennessee again. That was a blast last year. And then uh, if nobody kicks me off my own property, I'm going to be hunting here in Missouri or if my in-laws don't sell their farm here between now and turkey season, I reckon I'll probably hunt here too. Mm. Yeah, I'd say you ought to. Um, talking about turkeys, I am going to make a shameless plug um, for uh, an organization I'm involved with and on the board on. If y'all are listening and you are a turkey hunter, I ask to check out turkeysfortomorrow.org. Um, it's a cool little organization all about helping out the turkeys. Um, much like the NWTF, uh, kind of a similar model to like Delta Waterfowl and Ducks Unlimited. We're doing a lot of research, spending a lot of money on research right now, um, learning a lot of cool things in different places with some of the projects that are going on that we're a part of. So if you get a chance, go to turkeysfortomorrow.org, check out our website, check out our Instagram. Um, if you want a new hat or something, wear a turkey hunt with a new logo on it, check us out. We'd appreciate any help you can give us. You know, that resource that that resource of turkey i think i think that's it's an inner the tur the turkey's interesting you know ducks don't get me wrong we're all we're worried about them all year long and we're thinking about it and all that but you know turkeys turkeys the turkeys that are on my properties they're not coming from canada so what's theirs there and you know what i mean they're not coming from the dakotas what's theirs there so when i look around and don't see any or don't see many or whatever um it can be kind of alarming because you were talking about all the guys at NWTF from around Ira, you know, different areas. And the fact of the matter is the turkey hunting culture and turkey hunting itself, it's got a lot of really cool um, tradition and really strong ties too. And, and I feel like people are conscious of what's going on and they're, they're concerned about what's going on in some areas with numbers. And, and, you know, I know turkeys for tomorrow. I, thank God we have organizations that are rolling like that and NWTF and, and others, but um, it's crazy to me to see how much interest and how much passion there is for Turkey hunting. I know I'm looking at guys that I'm friends with that have really tried to make a difference on predator control on their properties, <laughs> you know, creating nesting habitat and diversifying coverage type or cover types. And, you know, uh, the coverage or the, the cover height and, and really just, like I said, getting after the predators this off season made it a concerted, concerted effort to try to do something. I mean, it takes, in my opinion, it's going to take that over, you know, a lot of that, but it's great to see people tuning into what's going on there. 
Yeah, we're, we're talking about doing some cool stuff there to help help land managers and landowners out in the near future. So that we got some interesting stuff coming from there, but you're right. You know, uh, working on predator control, um, diversifying cover, making good nesting and poult rearing habitat, stuff that you can do yourself without spending a lot of money will go a long way to helping turkeys on your ground. And just a little effort, you know, um, it, whether you're a person that, that um, gets permission to hunt on somebody's farm, man, go offer to help them out. Go offer to to do something to improve the habitat. If you hadn't be a landowner, man, you're out piddling around this time of year, think of something you can do pretty pretty inexpensively and easy to help turkeys out. It can be as much as uh, letting something grow up. You know, a good blackberry patch will save a whole lot of turkey poults, you know, in the summertime. Places to get out of the weather, be stay away from avian predators, or just you know little things go a long way. Absolutely, absolutely. Ira, you got anything else to add on that note? Oh, I mean, I, I, I don't. I'm not nearly as educated on a lot of things turkey as I should be, but, um, you know, you take place like here where I live, where it's huge, mature oak forests and your reproduction and turkey numbers are you know gonna gonna hit uh a plateau at some point but you take a place like locust grove which was an ag field and we bought it and now you've got a lot of young trees growing up and and we'll have grasses in with those young trees and i mean you go through there in the summertime and every single time you drive on that farm in the summertime you'll see big flocks of turkeys and uh you know young ones and and hens and uh, i was talking to brian anderson and he was like man your place is about as perfect a brood habitat as there could be um for reasons like avian predators and being able to hide and all that stuff and i hadn't really thought about it but you know you go through there in the summertime and you see so many turkeys and then once duck season rolls around they're gone for the most part because they're you know, and their big winter flocks there along the river or wherever they are. I assume that's where they are. But it is interesting how turkey will move to find what suits it best for that type that time of the year. And, and there's certainly things that, you know, all of us that have a little bit of ground could be doing to help them out some more. I'm sure I've made a bunch of brush piles here at home and stuff. And, well, I don't know. I'd have to ask someone that knows more than me. Maybe that's just helping the coons and the possums. But I was hoping a turkey would nest in one of them. Ira? I know a way you can get more turkeys on your property during duck season. Quit flooding the thing. If you yeah, if you yeah. really care about the turkeys, why don't you let Locust Grove dry this year? We'll see how much you care about the resource. Well, Jim did tell me he's seen turkeys swim before, so you know maybe they'll come over. <laughs> was it wounded, Jim? Was it after you shot it? Actually, no, sure wasn't. Um, running down a river in a boat, and um, uh, was in the Black River bottoms and flushed a bunch of turkeys off the limb. And of course, the river bends a lot, so they hit they they hit another tree, and we flushed him again. And finally, no Jake just wore out, and he, he hit the water. And I said, "Oh my gosh, he's going to die!" So we tried to, and he's swimming, you know. So I said, "Man, turkeys can't swim. Shoot, he swam good, so he's going to ease up there in the boat. Buddy, of mine's going to take the boat paddle and just get up underneath him and shove him knock up on him the boat. No, Kill him. No, what was not going to knock him in the head." Um, man, as soon as that boat paddle touched that turkey, that turkey flew up out the water, buddy. It's amazing what they can do. But and along with that, a uh, game warden buddy of mine, or, or past game warden, Randy Rhodes was working in Mississippi River down here near the mouth of the White, and he sent me a picture, it's probably in my phone, of two longbeards in the middle of the Mississippi River swimming. Kind of like they went to fly across and they couldn't make it, so they hit the drink and they just floating around like a big old duck. Well, I mean. In that, I mean, some of the stuff you see, but yeah, that was not, I mean, uh, that's not what I would, that's not the habitat you typically think about finding them in, that's for damn sure. Well, I'm, I'm, yeah. I would say it's not normal. I would say it's pretty rare. Right. I mean, think about trying to take a picture with a wet turkey. You might as well just grab a 55-gallon trash bag and set that on your tailgate and fan it out. It's about ugly. Ira and I had a hunt this, this year where we went to our property right off the bat and I don't remember, I don't remember exactly what happened. I remember there was a bunch of birds there and I don't know if we got, 
I, it was one of them deals where it was a farm that we bought and we'd never turkey hunted there before. And I'd heard some goblin in there and we got set up and we're like too close to him, I guess. I don't know, but um, there's a lot of birds, which is promising. So we went to the next spot and uh, we, we, if I remember right, I we set up and I was calling and I heard some, something walking. I thought, is somebody coming up here in, in here with us? And I turned around and remember it was all those jakes, Ira. Yeah. And yeah. it was like six then, jakes. Yeah. And they got all around me and Ira, and I was like, oh, shit. And so we never did hear a gobble. I was like, well, you know, good enough. And so I, it didn't seem like we walked very far. I mean, I was calling, a, you know, to where it I figured something, something would hear us. And, you know, it was kind of just, I don't know what the deal was, but we hadn't walked, like I said, very far. And he and I were talking, and we stopped on this point, and I called, and two of them hit, like, hurry up. Like, it's one of them deals where it's like, hey – I don't care if you find the right tree, just find a tree, like get set the F down right now. And it would 30 seconds and Ira killed one. Mm. Just hammered. Hey, right Jimbo, uh, talking about Joe's talking about that property. And yesterday, Joe was telling me that, uh, that uh, he had some guy calling asking for permission to go fishing. And with this piece of property is talking about, it's only like 35 acres or something. Well, across the river, there's about 400. And the guy was asking him to get permission to, Cross our big bottom down there that on X map says Ira McCauley and Joe Weimer own like 400 <laughs> acres. And it's like, I, what are you talking about? He's like, Yeah, I'm looking at it right here on on that. Yeah. He, so he Joe sent me a pin. I said, That's what I'm going to be forced to go off of. I'm going to farm it this year, I guess. I said, Man, we need to go to the courthouse today. Get make sure you get this deed work done right, right now. Told that now. guy, I said, you're more than welcome to fish on it, but I don't know who owns it. Not me. Man, I found a couple instances where, where, where they may not be quite right, for sure. Yeah. It, I really, in this instance, I would pay a lot of money for them to be right on that one because we would, I'd be sponsoring this podcast if that was the case. Uh, <laughs> but, man, Jim, I, I know we – talk forever about turkey hunting and random shit but i really appreciate you coming on and and uh i think it's awesome what i've said this before but i think it's awesome that you stepped out of a comfort zone that you somewhat that you had and also created and you know created product lines and and kind of created a different style of duck calling and um your main you know definitely modernized it and, and put it mainstream and step out of that and to, to take a company that has room to grow and has challenges ahead as far as development and really getting your rolling your sleeves up and doing that. I think that's badass. And for, you know, I want to just say to everybody who's listening, if you haven't checked out the stuff at Drake lately, um, if you haven't checked it out since Jim's been involved and since the new ownership's been involved, um, check it out because, you know, the least you can do is take it, take a look at it. Um, you know, Jim, has been in the industry for how long and, and been a pioneer in the industry. So for him to be involved in it, you at least owe it to yourself to take a look at it. And also, like Jim said, check out the turkeys for tomorrow because that's a badass organization as well. So Jim, I know, I know I really appreciate it. So thanks for coming on. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate all the kind words too. Thank you. Ira, you got anything else? No, man, that's it, Jim. Thanks a lot. And everybody, thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, we'll catch y'all later. We'll talk soon. See you, everybody. You bet. Have a good one, y'all. Thank you. My dad would cook for him, and all the guides lived in this little, we called it the Mouse Mahal. I mean, it was just a little rundown shack. I'm kind of an addictive person. If I ever get on drugs, I feel like it's over. Because <laughs>